Hey guys, this is Caspian, one of the three Buddhists. This episode that you're going to listen to was recorded the 5th of July, 2020. And in it, we introduce two new concepts, or Dominic introduces two new concepts, the LGI and the MGAP. The LGI is the law of least generous interpretation, and the MGAP is its opposite, and we bring up a couple of examples to those. If you want to find out more about what we're talking about or want to read up on on the anecdotes that we bring up, you'll find links in the show notes to them. Once again, very welcome and enjoy the conversation. So it was lovely to clean out my wardrobe yesterday, kept company by you guys for like hours. What did we say? Oh, we said some really good things. The the Midsummer's Day episode was super easy. It started at zero 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 zero, and it ended when it ended. And it was like, oh wow. <laughs> There's maybe there was a little bit. Caspian goes to turn on the lights and that sort of. But but it was like, oh, here we are. Perfect episode. Just really easy. So the criteria for a good episode is that it starts when it starts and ends when it ends. Yes, that's why I couldn't do the 14th. It was like, oh no, I can't do that. I have to think. Um, so with warm hands, I leave that to you, Dominic. Um, and then the 20 something, the 20th episode was the one. Oh, maybe that was the, well, never mind. One of them was easy. The other one was also easy. That was the one where we go into embodiment and disembodiment and, and just speak around that. And that's a cool episode. It's interesting. There's lots of food for thought there. Yeah. And I cleaned my wardrobe. I'm so pleased with myself. I need to do that as well. There was... There was something in there, I had this sort of basket where in 2016, come the fall, when me and, and my ex-husband separated, I, I stuffed some papers down here into it, put it up there. That's where it's been ever since. And I found a, a handful of USB sticks as well, memory sticks with lots of old photos and stuff. So it's like, oh, this is so cool. It's amazing how many distractions can arise when you decide to clean up. Yes. <clears throat> but I didn't check the USB sticks until when I was done. Oh, so. You're so adult. I know. Sometimes I do adult quite well. Other times I really suck at it. <clears throat> like keeping a box of, of papers for four years and not really bothering to do something with it. But now it's done. So now I'm sort of stoked for what I will tackle today. What about you guys? So, well, I didn't clean any cupboards. <clears throat> um, but when I do, it doesn't take very long. Um, because there's kind of... Uh, <clears throat> 
been a few of these purges, you know, so um, a book purge, on the other hand, could take a long time. <laughs> and I have no intention of doing anything like that. A horrifying thought. And um, yeah, I've been really enjoying the weather. Just raining for days and really feels fantastic. I really enjoy it. And which also means that I can be, yeah, inside and reading and... Yeah, it invites reading. And so my, my reading has, has led me to a, um, a concept, um, you know, like there's Godwin's Law and, you know, all these kind of things. You remember Godwin's Law that came up a few episodes ago about who mentions... He who shall not be named first, or how quickly, or whatever. Oh, yeah. 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 Hitler, so, not Voldemort. I'm just saying this for the youngsters <laughs> in the house. Uh, uh, don't say it, don't say it. We'll have to beep it. Yeah. <laughs> the guy without the nose. Well, he Some doesn't have a nose. nose. Well, Voldemort doesn't. You said what? <laughs> you weren't supposed to say it. But the thing you weren't supposed to say, he doesn't have a nose, does he? Yeah, that's yeah. true. Okay, he doesn't well, have it, a nose? No. Well, there, there is very little nose on him. That's not There are sort of that's... just two holes straight into his face. Really? Yeah. Huh. That sort of, that bit... How, didn't how stick. How did you miss? How? Well, there were other things. And when I read the Harry Potter books, I started oh, you off. you read them? Of course I read them. They're really good <sighs> to be read. But I read them in both English and Swedish and sort of mixed match. And that was really confusing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, good that, that, that Harry Potter came up because um, <clears throat> J.K. Rowling is probably a good example of my my new theoretical law. Um, not that I want to include her in any way, um, but th she's been sort of part of that um, circuit recently uh, because she's uh, sort of decided to engage herself in the war of <clears throat> gender and sex and so on. Um, yeah, that article in somewhere. Yeah, and even... Harry Potter himself dissed her. That was hardcore. Really? Mm. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so the new law <clears throat> is called um, the law of the least generous interpretation, LGI. <clears throat> and it sort of comes up because I've been ruminating on <clears throat> this basic problem that... Uh, at the start of, of um, COVID-19, or, or certainly after a few weeks when uh, things went from, uh, you know, sort of isolated problem in China to a potential epidemic to the declaration of a pandemic, um, one of the sort of cultural uh, phenomena that arises is this uh, message 
um, that uh, humanity, in big inverted commas, is on the brink of some sort of huge shift of consciousness, shift in consciousness, yeah, and we're all going to get an upgrade because we're all going to get much closer and, um, you know, so forth and so forth. Um, and, well, it didn't really turn out that way. Humanity behaved in the way that it does, um, and, or humanity in big inverted commas again, <clears throat> and everybody sort of finds himself in more or less the same place with uh, the additional um, interesting effects of the pandemic. And more or less the same place is then all about how we should all work together while imposing sanctions on very poor countries and running information wars and all this kind of stuff. Um, and it's kind of amazing to me how this doesn't really uh, show any significant differences, whatever country you're in. Um, there may be some small uh, differences, but generally there is a, a sort of theme about making the most out of the opportunities of uh, what your opponent's activities can be interpreted to be as wrong. How your opponents interpret... Let's try that again. Yes, so, please. Yeah. Um, so the, the kind of general ethos is, I want to get to the top, or I want to stay at the top. So whatever anybody else is doing around me, I will interpret in ways that will allow me to criticize whatever they're doing in the most potential point scoring way. And there is no whatsoever limit to uh, what those interpretations can be. There's no ethical limits. And they're amazing. I mean, they really are amazing. I've seen, <laughs> seen the, the ugliest of expressions of, of big inverted commas, humanity um, sort of emerging as part of the uh, supposed normalization process. Of course, the normalization process is now uh, pretty much no longer normalizing. Uh, there are crises and lockdowns happening daily across the planet. And well, surprise, surprise, the least generous interpretation is that X or Y person has yet again completely failed, should resign, is entirely at fault, etc., uh, etc. Et so that's what I've been ruminating on. The law of the least generous interpretation and its implications for the state of fragility that we're in. Actually, I listened to, um, on the topic, another person that, that's usually or quite often um, interpreted in, in the least generous way. I listened to uh, Alexander Bard when he visited Arnold Flam in uh, the podcast The Constructive Critique. A it's new episode Swedish. or the old one? Yeah, it, it, was, it was recorded a, a week ago or something. You know, in, in connection with the Black Lives Matter tweet. Oh, um, yeah. 
You can sort of, for reference, you can frame it, that tweet. Oh, well, well what, what Alexander Bard tweeted was, if black lives want to matter, they should uh, get a job, uh, get, get an off education. welfare. Exactly. Yeah. Stop lying. Um, exactly. Just get their shit together. Uh, and then he posted four, four um, tweets exactly the same with white lives matter, yellow lives matter, and... Red, I think. I, but that yeah. was like five hours later when the shit had already hit the fan. Exactly. Um, mm. And what he said in that episode, I mean, there, there is a lot to talk about about that episode and about the episode he did with Navid. Um, but what he said was that, you know, people, he, he said basically exactly, exactly what you're saying, Dominic, that, that people are now at a place where they are looking at such small things as if what words people are using rather than the context and, and the holistic sort of approach to what is being said. Um, and I think, you know, that we, we could discuss that case and it wouldn't be that interesting to that many people. But, it, but in general, I think that's very true that we, we've come to a place where we try to interpret people as poorly as we can. And we go into such detail that we miss the, the message, really, in many cases. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting also because <clears throat> he was on Hulkanvi Podden with Navid um, also, and, and that one has apparently gotten a lot of, uh, uh, of views and listens. And Joachim Jardenberg, who is also a Swedish sort of fairly well-known figure. Media. Yeah. Media figure and, and sort of internet um, person. But he wrote um, on his Facebook, sort of pointed the finger to the fact that Alexander Bard in that Navid episode had said that 60 blacks kill each other every day in the US or something of the sort. No, in it Chicago was, or something like that, in yeah, one well, city. And, and it was just, Joachim just sort of, you know, here's the statistic. It, it, it's not right in, in any way, sense, shape or form. And Alexander was in that thread as well, doing precisely this. Interpreted him in the least, gen least generous possible way. So it, it's as if he's, he, you know, and it get, they get into a fisticuffs because you're interpreting me wrong. And it's like, yeah, can you sort of just pause, look at each other, see, hey, fuck, we're doing exactly the same thing towards each other and we really hate it when it happens, you know? So it, it's, it's sort of... It, it just it goes both ways it goes both ways. ways and round and round and round and round and it's like a perpetual machine or whatever they're called um you know it just doesn't stop it seems mm. yeah i think one could add that uh we hate it when it happens to us yes 
Which was precisely what... So Alexander was pissed that Joachim was doing it and Joachim got pissed because Alexander was doing it. And, you know, it turns into this sort of pissing context. Contest. It was like... Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Or not. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I mean, the phenomena well, is pretty interesting, I would say. Yeah. That we've come to a point where we do it because it's... And it's you know, sort of it's, habitual. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it's, it's quite silly as well. And it's a quite childish behavior, I would say. Exactly. This is not really adult behavior. This kind of really isn't a good uh, reflection of a, a sort of adult stage of development. It's really narcissistic, childish stuff. And not only that, but it's sort of deeply driven by, um, yeah, what should one say? Unconscious material, shadow material, fear of being exposed for being human, being unable to say, I made a mistake, or I don't know, or Jesus, that was a really horrible thing to say, I'm sorry, um, you know. And you don't say those things because if you do, you're going to get slaughtered. You know, that's like suicide, so don't do that. And if you look at these cases that you mentioned, I mean, yeah, he wrote really unfortunate stuff. And there was a whole bunch of flutter around it in Sweden, you know. Um, and yes, these are people that are basically world famous in Sweden. And there's only 10 million people here. But... Um, it doesn't really change that much when you look at situations occurring around uh, Donald Trump, for example, or around, uh, uh, you know, any world figure you care to mention. Um, and so the, the sort of bottom line for me is, in what way do I participate in this? I mean, me personally. What are my interpretations? How, how am I kind of supporting this state of, of what really is a desultorous state of affairs. So what have you come up with? What, that I'm a complete bastard? But I knew that already. So, sorry, you can't do that interpretation on me. <laughs> Beat you to the punch. I wasn't doing that. I was thinking about me. You were, you were, you were. I saw you. No, I wasn't. I was going to go into this rant about that my... That was a leading question. ...and me. And then I was like, oh, wait, maybe Dominic has something to say about this. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the the part that's interesting uh, for me in a sense is... is if we surround it, if I'm surrounded, if I'm in a sea of this kind of uh, uh, deeply defensive behavior where nobody feels safe to explore, nobody feels safe to say anything, nobody feels safe to ask questions that are not within their particular echo chamber. Um, so we're kind of deeply in this world of, of small tribal silos where I can enter something as long as I'm wearing the right colors. It's like a gang, you know, um, I have to show all the cultural effects and etc. And that's nothing unusual. We've seen this before. What we haven't maybe seen this is such a um, 
uh, unbounded commonality regardless on what uh, side of a political spectrum or a religious spectrum um, or a class spectrum um, people find themselves on. This is really common. So one would imagine that it wasn't like that, that there would be uh, kind of specific groupings that show uh, specific behaviors. But it doesn't matter whether it's the left or the right or the feminists or the male groups or whatever. Um, this has become a sort of, uh, uh, what could one say? It's a little bit like COVID-19. It doesn't respect boundaries. This is the, the go-to defense mechanism. So the likelihood that I've escaped it is quite small. But this must be at some level part of my, my daily life. Even if I'm enjoying pointing at it in other people, it suggests that something in me is not really dealing with that. I'm also interpreting people in the least generous ways, you know. I've worked sort of I've I've worked quite deliberately to turn around from being the most negative person in the world that I knew um, into something quite on the other side of the spectrum. And and I've discovered now in this project that I'm working with, again, I meet quite a lot of new people, um, either working in the project or sort of engaging with the project. And and I've come to the point, I've, I've spotted in myself the other day that I, I, I sort of genuinely, uh, when I first meet somebody, I think the world of them, you know, it's like, great, they will do great. It will be fantastic. It will work out excellently. It will, you know, thumbs up. And then... I sort of get disappointed now and again. It's like, what the fuck? It didn't work out. It wasn't the right person. It wasn't the good fit. It, it, you know, it's like, eh. And that's when I can sort of shift into this least generative interpretation or generous interpretation where, and it actually is the least generative interpretation as well. As well, um, exactly. <laughs> right? Where... Once I've sort of gotten a, a, like some, a bit of a suspicious mind towards somebody or a dislike of some sort, and it's all in my head, of course, then it can be really hard for me not to interpret it in the least gener generous way. Um, but, but it's quite a long ways to, to get to that point if I'm just sort of looking at me and the people I interact with, which is, you know, I can surely be the same and interpret people um, LGI-wise, sort of the, the world on a world or global or national scale. But, but sort of bringing it down, there are a few people that like, it doesn't really matter what they say or how they say it or, or what they do or what they write, it's like, mm -mm, I'm going to find something that I really don't like about it. Um, but it's, it's rare enough. That used to sort of be my, that used to be my pattern. 
LGI was sort of, this is me, I'm an LGI-er, right? So today, when it happens, I sort of personally, when I'm personally engaged with it, I do spot it, but have a really hard time to stop it. Uh, And sort of, isn't LGI basically what what feeds gossip? Mm, well, it will certainly contribute. Mm. What are you thinking? Well, on the gossip line. Well, a couple of years ago, some some friends of mine got into some relationship trouble. Very unusual. It happens. Um, it was a little bit of a mess, and and I was talking to a friend who was sort of in it, but on the side, sort of closer to the mess than I was. And I know, you know, it's like, well, I can see what person X did, I can see what person Y did, and, and I can, you know, I can see sort of, sort of the humanity of each of them, you know, why they would do that, what, like you say, what the shadow side is that makes them do these things that are not rational, that are not logical, that are really fucked up and not nice. And we're humans, you know, we, we, we do this stuff. Um, and that sort of kills the energy of the gossiping. Right? Because gossiping would have me pointing fingers and say, oh, that dumb fool, why would he, she do this, that, and sort of go down that rabbit hole. But instead, it's like, well, yeah, I can see why, why that might happen. Uh, it's like, okay. And end of gossiping. It doesn't go further. Um, but again, if I don't... If I don't honor the fact that there's a person there, I, I, I can stop myself from stopping it, right? Then I can go down that, that route, if that makes sense. But it's the sensationalist, sort of the, the oh, that's where we put so much energy into it. Uh, and that just keeps it, you know, it's a roaring fire. It's everybody, you know, throws in logs on that fire and it's, it's burning bright. But I think we can make better use of our logs. Yeah, and I think we can make better use of LDI sort of 
we had my my mom and I had had a conversation a couple of weeks ago. Um, she was invited to to participate in in a context, and I told her, you know, it's probably not a good idea because I know the context better than her. Um, and and I told her, you know, don't don't go into this. It's it's not a good idea. Um, and it was an LGI. You know, I I did not expect much of that context. I, I, you know, I really wasn't generous in my interpretation. And she was. And so she said, well, you know, it's it's going to be fine. It's going to turn out great. You know, what harm could it do? Um, and then the other day she, she talked to me about it again. She didn't participate, but um, she got the invitation a couple of hours before uh, the actual event and and it was completely out of context and and someone really missed missed the whole thing up uh, and you know in in that in that sort of setting in that context um, the LGI actually has a purpose because as as you said Helena you know I'm, I'm probably um, I'm, I'm very much the same way. I, I go into uh, context, I, I, you know, into new relationships. When I meet people, I, I really, I think I'm naturally very generous in my interpretation. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I usually say I'm a born hopeless optimistic because I'm, I'm really, you know, I go into it full-heartedly, uh, thinking the biggest, greatest thing could possibly come out. You know, sometimes it doesn't. And and we have to, I think there there is a function in, there, there is a purpose with us not having that optimistic, generous interpretation all of the time, even though Generally speaking, we could probably use it a lot more in society today. Well, for me, what you're pointing at is the the importance of of um, of awareness <clears throat> of maintaining a at least degree of conscious awareness of your own feelings, of your own states, because <clears throat> the most positive interpretation, the most generous interpretation is as much a projection as the least generous interpretation. And neither of them is true. They're simply reflections of what's happening inside of you that possibly may be quite difficult to accept about yourself. And then it's quite it's 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 enormously um, attractive to then see those things in the other. Um. And and just sort of speaking, speaking as someone who's lived my life sort of up until the age of below thirty, at least, sort of from you know LGI. How can I? How can I be the most negative and, and sort of really 
looking at things with suspicion and and a sort of pessimism and no this my this will never work and that's ugly and that's you know rubbish and and sort of deliberately making a shift which is i think to a large extent based on the fact that me living today um sort of on a like you say caspian on a much more optimistic nerve positive i i'm i'm deliberately intentionally naive because it's it feels so much better it is so much nicer to live and to work and to be in the world from that standpoint than the suspicious i don't believe this this is a hoax everybody's going to con me yada yada and like you say dominic both of them are imaginary both of them are to a large extent my projections on the world and and i might be con either way i might be really generously interpreted in either session but i have to live with the feeling and and i actually enjoy the feeling of living me now much more than i did before um and again it is it is imagination it is interpretation it is and and i can i can choose i have a choice there um and i'm very happy that i've sort of made another choice than the choice i made for the first 2 3 decades of my life i think you know further to that uh, those choices you make um are often in uh how should one say response to the awareness that um you've previously to to your own mind any person that's in the situation you think that you've made those choices yourself i i chose to be a negative person but you existing in a in a in a, a cultural ethical plasma of um dominance that the only viable strategy is to dominate and often the way to dominate is not through uh, affirmation it's through totally destroying your uh, opponents you have to find the thing that's wrong the thing that's weak etc etc this is not something that any of us can uh, take responsibility for that we can own it's been something that's been part of you know hundreds of generations of this post enlightenment culture that evolves that people act in self interest and that that's good um that this is the basis of economy this is the basis of progress all of these kind of things and then we can take responsibility for the ways in which they sit with us um but i think it's kind of unfair to say that you chose to live that life because that's only partially true um you become conditioned under circumstances that would be inhuman to imagine that anybody could withstand or uh, find alternatives to and the other part of that for me is that when there is that degree of of conscious awareness that choosing to live a life in which you are open to the potentials of 
situations that you are willing to to sense and feel into what sort of positive contributions any person or group or situation can make is not necessarily imaginary um, but certainly present so the 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 mental state in which I enter a situation think, ooh, I need to be careful here. These guys are going to, you know, somehow rip me off or they've got alternative motives or whatever the case is. Or entering a situation saying, finally I'm home, everybody understands me, um, etc. That's not really a state of presence in the sense that we're continuously projecting into uh, future expectations or past uh, um, hurts and not really finding ourselves in a situation where from the inside out we are making ourselves open and curious and available to uh, what might evolve, what might emerge. And doing that with, um, yeah, what could one say, with a, a light heart um, is simply good living. It's really sort of a old style Epicurean um, ethical existence, you know. Um, but it's very, very rare. We don't do Epicurious anymore. We don't take pleasure in life. We maybe talk about it, you know, that there's a, a Zen state or something like that where that you can build up or achieve or feel detached from the realities of existence, the cruelties and the um, and the beauties and etc. and and simply be there and enjoy them as a a global culture. We become far more given into this capital of identification. And I think that that process um, on a, on a the level of the global body is so interesting to read with something like um, this pandemic that when we started talking about this, we talked about <clears throat> how there are certain elements that are obvious, that stand out, like that uh, there's a, a stop signal that happens, that there's something fundamentally wrong in the way that we are uh, living as a body of life. And that more than likely the defense to that signal is going to be getting back to normal. And that more than likely the result of that getting back to normal is going to be a heightened signal. And that signal is heightening. We've gone one full cycle, more or less. We've probably gone three or four full cycles. But the, the more obvious one is from the point where uh, there's, there's a clear state of emergency and slowly the intensity of that emergency starts to wane, it starts to taper off and people start to party and people start to have demonstrations and 
people start to fly around the world again. And suddenly we've got lockdown again in, in several major cities in the world. Huge increases in, in, in infection rates. Um, and finding ways to, yeah, draw ourselves out of that capital of identification, of, of having the social capital available through attention economies, of being able to say, I'm with her or, you know, Trump forever or uh, whatever it is that's sort of the, the meal of the day is probably also, you know, the, 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 if not the only way, possibly one of the major ways in which we can find our way out of this mess, you know, because there isn't really a, a, a path towards meaning or understanding through least generous interpretations. Least generous interpretations tend to have the effect of uh, Hercules Hydra. You know, you successfully lop off one head and two grow back. Um, It's interesting when you sort of link this to to the beauty or to to living sort of a good life, a life worth uh, living. When I got my big camera eight years ago. I went out in the fall, out here on the recreational area, and, and was just absolutely baffled at the beauty of the leaves, of the colors, of the remaining flowers, of the clouds, of the, you know, the contrast of the, the bark on the tree. You know, it was just... And and I was I was blown away taking pictures and, and, and sort of somehow being open to that in a way I've never ever been open to it before. Because rationally I realized that these leaves have been here all along. These flowers look the same as they did last year. But I didn't see it. I wasn't open to it. I wasn't able to perceive it in, in this full glory of beauty. Um, and, and so that's sort of the interpretation I've made of that, that my awareness or my consciousness, whoops, okay, I leveled up that day. Somehow I was able to see beauty in things that I've never seen beauty as much in before. Um, and, and that has sort of, it's, 
I don't get as awed all the time, but, but I do spot the beauty much more today than before that session out in the recreational area. Just yesterday when it was raining, I put in three Luchtart, whatever they're called in English. Sweet peas. Sweet peas, okay. And they have the most gorgeous flower. Um, pink, purplish, and I have three of them and they're sitting in a little vial on a suction thingy on the, on the window. And the, the pink purplishness of them against the backdrop of the raindrops on the window and then sort of this gray, bluish, dark, cloudy, just shit, it was beautiful. You know, depending on where I stood, it, the the background it could be the green of the of the birch tree or the the sort of the grayish of the of the sky. It was just drop dead gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had. I had a classmate in, in one of my courses at university where we mixed up with, um, in this case, the, the personnel administrators, students. Um, and for, for our classes, we were a very, very small group. And we had a small room at the top of one of the buildings uh, in Lund. I remember, you know, it was probably the third or the fourth lesson that we'd had in that specific room. And this girl, she she came through. And almost all of us were there already. She came into the room. She looked straight at the window and she goes, It's so beautiful. And she just bursts through this very small room. She she almost climbed over other students to look out the window. And we were all like, you know. What is it with you? <laughs> First of all, that. And then, you know, we've been here three times already. And you haven't. And she's like, but it's still so beautiful. And so she's, she's looked out the window all of the classes, but this time the the whole thing got got. I don't want to say too much, but but it, it just burst out. I mean, just how much more fun is it to live that way? As you were saying, how 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 much more does she notice, like the leaves in in the recreational area or you know just walking how much more fun is that I mean it's a lot more fun just to hang out with her because she she sees and hears and notices things that that the rest of us just don't pick up on I think it's an amazing ability to be able to to see that beauty and to make that interpretation and to decide to make it 
because it is a conscious choice and decision to make. Yeah, it's interesting because LGIing yourself also makes such a huge difference. I was riding my bike home on Friday from work and it started to drizzle and then the heavens just opened and I'm like, it's kind of fun to get wet all the way down into your undies when you're on a bike, you know, it's like, heck, it's like I was headed home, I can strip when I get home, it's not a big deal, but I can sort of enjoy the sensation of it. I can, I can enjoy feeling how my jeans are all of a sudden, they're just soaking wet. Um, I was wearing my Luna sandals, so no socks and sort of really minimalized uh, sandals. So it was like almost like I was biking with, with no shoes on and, and just sort of being in and with the present. Um, and the day before, I'd... Um, or a couple of days before, the same week at least, I was riding to work. I got on my bike, I went down into, you know, past the, the sidewalk down onto the street and I realized, shit, I forgot my iPad because we've been doing some, some type of thing with a program that I can only access from my iPad. It's like, ah, never mind. And then doink, 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 doink. And then oh, heavens opens again. And I'm writing, and it's like, you know, it's water. Um, it'll be fine. And and the way it is with rain, it was raining for 10 minutes and I have another 20 minutes. It's like, or 15 at least, to work. So by the time I got to work, most of it had actually sort of, I dried up because it's quite windy. And, you know, so it's like I get to work sort of, slightly damp um, but it's kind of fun you know I don't have to get annoyed and upset and oh I should have I should have gone back and put on my rain gear and I should have why didn't I blah 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 and it's like yeah but I, I don't have to go down that route either Old Helena definitely would have, because uh, I sort of didn't miss any opportunity to be interpreting myself in the least generous way. But it is interesting that generous and generative, sort of, they go hand in hand here. It is the same. LGGI, least generous, generative interpretation possible. There's an interesting um, concept um, that comes out of 
Yeah, I have to think yeah, complexity science. Um, I think that it comes from um, from a, a theorist called Kaufman, um, called the adjacent possible. And um, the adjacent possible. Yeah. So I mean, um, the idea is really um, fascinating in the sense that. Um, uh, and, and I'm really giving a very, very restricted kind of roundup just for purposes of our conversation. But Kaufman's idea is that the, 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 the existential reality around us arises out of, um, in the beginning, uh, two, um, uh, two things interacting and creating a third. And so between these three things, there are a certain number of possible interactions and each one of those interactions creates its own uh, third interaction. And so, um, you know, there's a kind of uh, graph that develops and um, there's a, a point of infinity where uh, the graph increases because the more agents there are that are interacting with other agents, resulting in new agents, um, the steeper that graph becomes. And somewhere around um, the the timeline, the the graph passes the line of infinity in uh, the physical world. And this is an astonishingly interesting. Um, uh, theory to explore and I'm thinking of it more in terms of what we're talking about here because for me the the opposite thing of the or the the sort of counterpart to the least generative generous interpretation is is a kind of ethic of the most generous generative presence um, of, of being available for the best of the thing and that when you are in a state of the least generative and least uh, generous and laying out these criticisms either towards yourself or towards others, they generally tend to meet other criticisms and raise a third and those three between them raise nine possible ones and then those nine raise 81 possible ones, etc. Et and all of a sudden we sort of um, exponentially in a deep state of, of tyrannical criticism um, and it goes the other way that, uh, you know, being in a, in a state of the adjacent possible um, within a, a, a state of presence also makes available that any environmental effect, all of your senses are um, attuned to an ethically generative state that results in... Uh, deeper and 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 more um how should we say um nourishing experiences things that in its very deep and profound simplicity simply affirm life that you're alive and you notice And that the things that you notice about being alive in your life add to and build on 
uh, in this sort of way, the, the adjacent possible, the next possible step, expanding the horizons of, of perceptual ability, of expanding the possibilities of, of presence. Yes, I'm naive and idealistic, but you know, I, I like to think about things like that. It makes me feel safe. Yeah, I like that. I haven't heard the, the concept before, but it certainly rings true for me. Well, it's basically the same that, that you usually say with attention nourishes. I would say. And also this sort of, I can be stuck on one thought generating one feeling inside me, but, but there's like, there's a whole stack of thoughts waiting to sort of pop into my head. And when this one finally leaves, next one comes and I have no clue what this next one might be. And then when that one leaves, there's another one and another one and sort of infinity just waiting to pop into me. Mm. Um. And I should be clear also that, that, that Kaufman's ideas is, um, if you think of, of innovation, um, then there's a moment in which, for example, there are two uh, seemingly unrelated objects that when they put together lead to some third insight of a completely new thing. And that completely new thing put into relation of other objects that have emerged from the same process lead to new innovations, lead to new innovations, lead to new innovations. And this, this kind of function underneath is what uh, is meant by the adjacent possible. That's, a, that's a, um, an innovation technique to use to sort of have to put two words together, you know, marmalade and chair. Okay, what happens in your brain? It's like dolphin and car. Oh, you know. And again, it builds on, on just this. Uh... Yeah, I noticed. I noticed, you know, when... Um, the trying to get things straight in here. Um, in in the book, um, what to do when it's your turn? Uh, I think it is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think it's there that Seth brings up the effect of. You know, one person walking through the floors of a company and just talking to people where the floors are different areas within the company and sort of being a bee, cross-pollinating and, a and you know, dropping, exactly, dropping ideas off, picking ideas up and, and just walking them through the floors, um, which generates, which generates this effect. Um, 
and I was I was thinking a lot about that in in the context of of my university when I was there because in in Lund all of the faculties are are quite clearly separated physically um and you know I I don't think I ever went into the building for for uh geography and you know earth and stones and stuff like that I don't even know what they do over there exactly that that thing I don't even know what they do there and I barely went up to uh, uh, the technical faculty and I don't even know of the other ones and so what what would actually happen in that context if if researchers and students would sort of yeah walk bumble, across and build bumble around yeah exactly exactly what type of development would we see? Different. Yeah, well, you get a taste of it from, um, for example, Santa Fe Institute. In fact, Kaufman was, I think, part of the Santa Fe Institute for some time. Tell us about the Santa Fe Institute. Well, I can't tell you that, that much, um, but I can tell you that the, um, the material is published. Uh, you can read the proceedings of several years of study. But the idea of the Santa Fe Institute was to gather, you know, something like a thousand um, specialists, scientists, um, and to, from very different fields. Um, and, you know, in a, in a sort of uh, uh, accessible example, to put economic questions to physicists, um, and so on, you know. So, uh, biochemists would be dealing with um, uh, computer programs um, and creating these uh, environments in which that sort of uh, freeform exploration uh, within um, ethical and fairly broadly accepted standards of, of scientific exploration can occur uh, quite freely. I think they started somewhere around um, end of the 80s maybe. Um, and there's, a, there's an amazing amount of stuff that comes out of Santa Fe Institute that, um, you know, when you sort of look at their proceedings and the people who participate there and what those people publish, just in general in their own uh, sort of academic fields. Um, it's a real treasure trove. There's huge amounts of stuff. And even today, um, lots of interesting uh, materials coming out of Santa Fe. Yeah, it reminds me of, of um, Göran Hydbom. I think he was innovation head at Tetra Pak or something in Lund at least, but he was saying, you know, if you have a logistics problem at Tetra Pak, for crying out loud, do not go talk to the logistics professor at Lund University. You go talk to a, a hairdresser or, or somebody working at kindergarten or, you know, just because they will be able to see and ask 
outside of this is how it's supposed to be done. Um, and, and again, it is this adjacent possibility, that's, or the adjacent possibility, that's what is easier to get at if you step outside of somebody who knows the field. You might need a professor of logistics as well, but, but you know, the closeness to the adjacent possible is, is much, it's, it's much nearer if you put somebody mm. else in. The potential yeah. is higher. The potential is higher the that you will get there. When the poles of the battery are more loaded. Mm. Yeah, yeah, precisely. But it's it's also interesting because I'm I've sort of I've I've verbalized bumblebeeing in Swedish at humla, um, and I love to do that. Uh, I enjoy doing that. And in the project I'm in at the moment, that is everybody sort of working in the in the core team have sort of really gotten to understand that that is what I do and and. So I'm asked questions about ventilation or about, you know, where will we have the access points for the Wi-Fi or what type of alarm system are we to have and how will we put all of the stuff going into production? Will we have sort of pallets or will we have big carts? And, you know, it's like, so I'm, I'm the one who's all over the place. A lot of the others are also in more than one but but i'm sort of the only one who's really just putting my fingers in everything in every pot possible i'm there and i think it it does just that it makes for my brain to sort of hop onto the adjacent possible and just sort of see oh shit we need to do this over here then if we're messing with this back here because it will impact um, and I thoroughly enjoy sort of being in a project where it's possible for me to to actually have a finger in every pot um, because it it does just that in my in me and I like that I love when bam something just you know it pops uh, it's lovely. I like it. If everybody did that in this project, I don't know if that would be as as good, but at least to have some someone do it or be it. Most definitely. That's helpful. Mm. Well, there is that... Um, that aspect to it um, that uh, de Hoc calls the chaotic state where there's uh, the, the right balance between chaos and order that, that um, the, 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 the work of adaptation, of evolution, of innovation happens at that point where there's a very high degree of chaos and a slightly higher degree of order. Um, but it's definitely not safe. It 
it's not predictable. It has this element of, uh, you know, kind of like really thrilling, uh, exciting, uh, uh, you know, breathtaking sort of quality of, oh, shit, and then there's that, oh, and then there's that, and then there's that, and now there's all of these things that can possibly come together, and usually there's, there's maybe one or two um, things that that join up, you know, by, uh, by means of some sort of strange attractor element or uh, some sort of magnetic state that happens to be relevant for that context. And the others are not worthless, they just don't have that load, there isn't a charge that makes the, the spark work. And all of which I think is kind of like massively exciting, you know, um, but I think there are also issues uh, that are worth being aware of that the, the, the ethic of just make stuff and break stuff and, um, you know, um, get on and innovate the sort of um, Silicon Valley uh, worldview um, does have its, its considerable and monstrous shadows. Um, that are that are part of this least generous interpretation world um, in which there are externalized costs to um, economic man that generally uh, do land on the shoulders and lives of, of um, yeah people that are at the receiving end of um, of that uh, type of least generous interpretation um, like, for example, uh, this kind of generalized uh, uh, accusation that um, you brought up in the beginning uh, from the, the, the Swedish guy who says that, you know, black people should stop lying and get a life and get off welfare and so on, you know, as if there is such a thing as black people um, and that all of them do the same thing, etc., etc. That in the midst of this excitement of possible, possible outcomes, new stuff, um, there is also, uh, for me, this very, very important aspect of an inner life, that turning these experiences inward, um, that living from the inside out generally um, is possibly a less damaging way. It has fewer externalities. Um, if any, that it's possible to experience all of those uh, excitements and, and rapture in the face of beauty and, and uh, innovation, etc., etc., without it coming at such a terrible cost that whole cities of people, millions, have to be moved because the environments are so utterly devastated because we have to have neodymium or, you know, whatever the latest substance is to make your your mobile phone run or you know your hologram phone call possible wherever it is we're headed that would be cool hologram phone calls yeah mm. hologram zoom would be cool you'd be here in my sofa that would be really nice mm. 
what role do you think this LG are we calling it the LGI or LGGI? Go right ahead. We're at the development stage here. We are. Try it. See how it fits. What, what role do you think this this LGGI um, sort of you you started off talking, Dominic, about the paradigm shift and and people thinking that everything will change with with COVID. And we've talked a lot about sort of people thinking that that this crisis will will change everything and will bring about the paradigm shift that, that everyone's been talking about for 10, let's say 10 years for, for making it easy. But, you know, some people have talked about it for, for a very long Depends time. Depends how old I think you since are. the Maya calendar. <laughs> You know, yeah. but hey. um, let, let's let's set a starting point somewhere. What role do you think L LGGI or MGGI? Most generative. Um, mm -hmm. And the the interpretations in between those two plays in in that paradigm shift. Sort of what what change did they bring about, and and where do they fit in right now? Hmm. Well, yeah, I don't know. You know, I mean, you're asking me a, a, a question that seriously overvalues my speculations and ruminations. But <clears throat> I mean, quite simply. Um, on a personal level, the, the less generous I am with myself, uh, the greater the state of poverty I'm in. The more generous I am with myself, the greater state of abundance I'm in. And if I were to extend that to some sort of uh, general universal principle, um, knowing what I do from my own reading, I sort of think, okay, well, actually, probably I have no clue what the result would be. It could be total devastation. Um, it could be, I mean, even that I think that generosity is, is positive, that um, if you turn this into some sort of macro effect, it might just be the end of everything as we know it, because things just scale completely out of control. Um, so I don't know the answer to your question. And, and I just kind of, my, my, my experience is one of, this is what I feel out of what I observe. I notice that there's a terrible lack of generosity. And it's, it's something that I brought up early in the, in the COVID thing, that um, in, in peacetime, we talk about these wonderful values that we believe that we have. Um, and in wartime, we live out the exact opposite values because those are really the ones that our lives are, are being built on. I think COVID kind of really um, exposes that for me, that in, the, in, the, in, the, in, in tough times, values are in abundance. They're just not the values that we wish that we had, but they are the values that we live out, you know. 
Um, and my sense is that in an, an ethic where the most generous presence or the most generous perception is granted, is given, um, that it results in uh, a much deeper state of connection between people because there's much less defensiveness, there's much less fear, there's much less threat. Um, and where there isn't fear and threat, purely on a biological level, um, the brain actually uh, makes relationship possible. Where there is fear and threat, the brain shuts down the receptors for relationship. And I mean, this is genuine neuroscience. This is what we do, you know. So the more we drive this least generous interpretation ethic, the less relationship we have. There seems to be a definite correlation uh, between these two things. I'm not sure that, that there's no scientific basis for what I'm saying, but it seems an observable effect. So in an in a, in a, in a oddly, for me, um, counterintuitive sense that in order to have more relationship, I need to attend more to myself. I need to be more generous in my being present in myself as the first uh, starting point. And what that does for me in terms of a, a paradigm is that, <clears throat> I mean, I think partly the, the issue around the paradigm shift is that it's just a nonsense concept, that there isn't a the paradigm. There are hundreds of paradigms that we rely on, that we think through, that we live through, and that uh, quite organically shift or don't, uh, depending on what kind of, of, of uh, environmental or, or ecosystemic pressures occur or don't occur. And when we are more accepting, when we're more engaged in relationship, etc., etc., absolutely paradigms will um, possibly change, but they may also possibly simply become more concrete, become more stable, um, and in them becoming stable, make other emergent states possible that we haven't even conceived of yet. We haven't conceived really efficiently of worlds in which um, hunger uh, is, is, is not an issue. We've conceived of worlds where we can produce far more food than we eat, but we still have hunger. We haven't conceived of worlds in which uh, everybody uh, doesn't have to work to make a living. We haven't conceived of worlds in which living is a simple existential state that doesn't involve um, scarcity. We assume things like scarcity, etc., etc. So I think that these, um, you know, these these gross generalizations of least generous interpretation or or most generous uh, presence. Um, uh, possibly shift those paradigms, possibly shift those assumptions, or uh, entrenches those assumptions. Certainly, the least generous interpretation for me entrenches, uh, entrenches the, 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 the assumptions of scarcity. If I'm not winning, somebody else is winning over me.
to what it's like if if the other part is 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 active. Um, for example, with these 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 uh, uh, expressions on Twitter, if somebody says about a person who said something stupid, uh, like Donald Trump or someone like that, let's say Trump says something truly astonishingly horrendous, you know, something really execrable. And somebody says, well, um, it's, uh, it's possibly unfortunate, um, but we might imagine what sort of uh, states of fear and insecurity drive those thoughts and uh, what a person of that caliber might need uh, to not sort of uh, resort to that type of attack. And I'm sure people will just sort of call you stupid or naive or whatever, you know, but out of the, the millions who reject it, maybe 10 will say, oh, thank God, you know. If you look at, I mean, I'm not uh, an, uh, a religious person or a Christian or anything, but um, two of the, 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 the Christian movements that I find truly inspiring for exactly this reason are, are Mennonites and Quakers. Um, because they really live by this ethic of, of the most generous uh, um, presence. Not an interpretation, a space of actually maintaining a, a, an ethic all of the time in which a person is forgiven by default. And being in conversation with people who are part of those communities is so incredibly enlightening because the concerns are entirely different than an alt-right discussion, you know, or a um, uh, movement towards some or other political uh, uh, injustice or uh, whatever. And out of that, for me, it's possible to imagine uh, a world where, yes, peace actually is possible to at least a far higher degree than uh, what it has seemed possible uh, up till now. And it's not a matter of that within Quaker or Mennonite communities, there isn't, there's a, that, that, the least possible, the least generous interpretation is entirely absent. It's that the way in which to deal with it is not to offer yet another least generous interpretation of the previous least generous interpretation of the previous least generous. You know, it's, uh, there's more of an adjacent uh, possible towards um, towards life, towards sort of affirming that yes, we're here. We're not the same. We are flawed, um, and the mistakes make beauty possible. Now my naively optimistic, hopeful brain just goes, mm. I'll have two of those, please. <laughs> yes, I could, I could take an extra even.
Yeah. Again, we get more of what we focus on. It is. So maybe the the um, the opposite to LGI is the the most generous adjacent possible, the M gap. That's a good one. That even has a snazzy name, the M yeah. gap. <laughs> <laughs> That's what need what what's needed when, when coming up with a concept. It nice sure helps. Name. It sure it helps. It does. It does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's the, the sort of inclusion of things like considerate, convivial, um, you know, um, that seems to be lacking in a lot of the innovation ethic that isn't part of uh, Silicon Valley. So the dominance ethic of just innovating and making stuff for their own sake sort of seemingly doesn't really include these uh, these these um, these elements of of consideration of conviviality of um, of concern of um, of care yeah and if anybody wants to sort of get some examples of that again the on being episode with Anil Dash uh, speaks exactly to that point him sort of being coming from the the tech silicon valley software uh, innovative side and just saying precisely this that this is lacking we need we need to put this in into innovation um, it's a really good episode So I don't know if that answered your question. I hope not. I don't think it did. Do I expand? It but it was a beautiful answer, I have to say. Well, thank you. No, I don't really have anything to expand on. I mean, you, I didn't really expect you to, to answer the question. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> what a relief. It's like saying, you know, how do we get world peace? Give me... Give me a tweet answer. Let's everybody go for MGAP. Exactly. World peace. Check. No, and, and you know, I think I've said this before, but I, I don't really like answers. They're pretty boring. Much more fun to pose more questions. Mm. Yeah, sort of just be poking around. 
exactly. I've uh, I was listening to another on being episode Krista Tippett with um Rishma Menachem, I think his name is, who is um, or something. Um, he's written a book called My Grandmother's Hands, which I am desperately trying to find, but it's out everywhere because now what with Black Lives Matter, he's really sort of stepped in so everybody wants to read this book so everybody's buying it so I can't find it but I was listening to to the episode and it's a it's a lovely one it's a lovely conversation but he in the book has a number of practices um, for everybody people of color or people of culture as he calls it or whites or you know everybody but you need to sort of do them on your own and 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 practice and one of them was very basic basically sit down breathe and relax you know and then look over your shoulder to the left uh, look forward again and look over your shoulder to the right and look forward again because just what you're pointing to neurophysically the brain is constantly on alert you know there might be something so if I actually give my brain the signals, the input that there's nothing behind me that's about to sneak up on me, the system can relax a little bit. And what happens then? What's possible then? From that standpoint, you can start to work with all of these inner um, shadow sides, you know, to, to a, a, a greater extent. And it's just, it was like, oh, wow. It makes perfect sense. I've never thought of it before. Um, That's a brilliant exercise. I know. Super cool. Super cool. How I can sort of, again, give my entire system what the system needs because I am not just brain I am body too we are everything all together and I need to make sure that I I, I, I look at or I work at or I, I hold all of that all that I am it doesn't matter if I'm sitting you know I I have walls behind me there's nothing gonna come at me yeah but again We aren't rational human beings. We are human human beings. Well, in your case, a small tiger could come up. Could, except that I put him out before, or opened the door. I didn't put him out. I didn't put him out. I opened the door so he's outside. You let him out. <laughs> I let him out, yes. Totally different. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, a podcast recording today. Need to put out the cat. 